be making your way to the uh, New Testament book of James. We're in chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in the the worship guide that's printed there for you. Um, This is our our series through the spring, uh, through this letter. And um, uh, James, if if you were here last week, if you weren't, you can catch up. Um, Last week, he talked about humility. And he mentioned the last thing he said, humble yourselves before the Lord. I don't know about you, but when I think of humility, in my mind, that is internal work, right? That's stuff that happens on my insides. If I'm going to be humble, it's, it's kind of an internal disposition. I, I, I rarely think about how it's going to be projected outward, right? And yet, the first thing James says after saying humble yourself has everything to do with how we express outward. So let's read and remember, this is God's word to us. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Again, Father, we come to this letter written by James, and it just feels like the hammer keeps swinging. It is a hard book and pointed in its teaching, and we feel somewhat laid open by the text each week. And yet, Father, here we are. Where else can we turn but to you and to ask for the help of the Holy Spirit to understand and to apply and to change? So let us see Jesus, and seeing him, let us not be the same, we ask in his name. Amen. Um, Jimmy has cooties. Let's go back to the schoolyard for a little bit and pretend we're all seven. And that I make that great pronouncement to all of you uh, as we're gathered around the swing set, Jimmy has cooties. What have I just said? Well, there's something about Jimmy that should cause you to keep a cool, wary distance, right? Um, Does he have cooties? We, We don't know. I mean, unless I present documented medical evidence, right, which I'm not going to, are they contagious? We don't know. We don't know what cooties are, right? But in this pronouncement, what I have done is to say there is something about Jimmy that should cause you to stay away and to assume the worst, whether it's true or not, no evidence, no accurate information, didn't consult with Jimmy before I made the pronouncement. Um, He is now diminishing in the school ecosystem, right? He is now the social pariah. Who's looking good in the moment when I announce that Jimmy, in fact, does have cooties? Uh, Me. Because, well, I must know something, right? Well, I must know something that the rest of you don't. I have the secret knowledge, right? There's something about Jimmy that I know that I am now wielding to make sure that you are on my side of this particular infestation and not on his side of this infestation, Um, What have I done in this moment? I slandered him. 
That's the biblical word for it. Um, And what James wants us to know is that as much as we're tempted to think that slander is something that only happens in the schoolyard, right, on the playground, uh, no, 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 this is what humans do. This is what people do. And it's also, unfortunately, what can happen and does happen among the people of God as well. And James has something very simple to say about it. Um, Don't. Don't slander. Why? Because God alone is the judge. So as we walk through this, this passage, we're just going to ask two questions about slander. Uh, what is it, and how do we stop it? So let, let's, let's go. Uh, what is slander? James' immediate application of what it means to humble yourself before the Lord is to say, stop speaking evil against. That phrase is one word in Greek, and we translate it usually, the, the, the idea of slander, broadly defined. This is speaking about someone, if you're speaking falsely, You're telling lies about them to try to diminish them. Sometimes slander happens when you're speaking truth, but you are weaponizing truth so that whatever you're saying that is true is, again, trying to destroy them, trying to run them down. Um, So it could be false. It could be true. Either way, it's weaponized, closely related to gossip. And at the end of the day, it really wants to take the reputation of the other person down. That's, That's the goal. Apparently, to these churches and multiple churches, to which James writes, they can't tame their tongues. His words, not mine. And so um, they are slandering each other. They're, they're arrogant. He said that in the previous passages. And arrogant people will slander others. It's just what they do. And again, it's important to understand he calls them brothers three different times here uh, in this passage. This is a speech to the church. Don't slander each other within the professing, gathered family of the living God, the new humanity. Uh, But they are. So he says that speaking against a brother is the same thing as judging a brother. The one interprets the other. You see how he rams those two terms together. And, And as is always the case, judging involves standing above, looking down, making a pronouncement. Steve said this a few weeks ago in his sermon on uh, partiality. He said it's, it's when you're committing partiality, it's like you're sitting in the judge's seat and every person that comes in, you think to yourself, this was his phrase, worthy, unworthy, worthy, unworthy. The only difference is that now you're saying it. And now you're saying it to everybody around. Worthy, unworthy, worthy, unworthy. Um, so <clears throat> it's an evaluation, it's a judgment. I hope that that presents a conflict in your mind, though, because uh, already, already you, you might be thinking, but so can I ever say anything against anybody or about someone, or can I ever correct someone? What does it mean to not judge? So let's talk for a second about what slander is not, um, because there are times when we are supposed to make judgments, Right? That uh, there are times when someone is saying or doing something that's that's harmful to himself or others, that's wrong, that is spreading falsehood, that um, and 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 in that moment you need to correct them. You need to say something. Um, it's right and good to say something, to seek correction, or repentance, or truth, or reconciliation. But therein is the difference. Um, it is the heart level. Um, 
motivation. Think about parenting. Uh, If you were trying to raise a kid, you're going to have to correct your kid, and you're going to have to correct your kid more often than you ever could humanly possibly think is is even doable. And as long as you don't, you know, turn your words into cruel words that are crushing your, your kid, you're seeking their good. You're making evaluations all the time. You're judging, and it's a good thing. And we hope that they stop doing whatever is foolish and start doing whatever is, you know, wise and smart. Uh, In the church, there are times when a brother or sister sins against God or other people without repentance. And the church is actually, it's demanded that we go through this process called church discipline where we seek to confront and to bring about, to see repentance, to bring about reconciliation and restoration of the person who has deviated and and lost their way. Um, That's not what James is talking about. This is not him saying, never judge, never correct, never call someone out. You can do all those things to build someone up. Slander never seeks to build up, ever. Slander has one aim, destroy. Destruction, crush. I have a former pastor I was talking with recently, and and we were talking about a a time when he had some people speaking against him, and, and I was just trying to ask questions about, so... But what were they after? What is it that they wanted? And he said, you, you've, made the, um, you've made the error of assuming that evil is logical. Evil doesn't want anything except to destroy. That is its aim. And that is the aim of slander. So he's saying, do not seek to destroy your brother or sister by running down their reputation, standing over and above them in an unloving way, no regard for their soul, for repentance, for their standing. Let's, let's, let's get more specific, because I just think this is hard for us to, to get our, our brains around. Is it slander to bring an accusation to someone's face? Well, let's say, um, I, and this is not a real-life application, let the record show Let's say I come to my wife and I say something to the effect of, you, you really disrespected me tonight at dinner in front of our kids. And let's say that she disagrees with me. And let's say that instead of entering into that discussion and trying to figure out who's right, who's wrong, what actually happened, let's say that I cut that discussion off and then I proceed over the next month to tell everyone that I know how horrible my wife is because she disrespected me in front of the kids. I mean, can you believe that she would say that about me? This is ridiculous. I mean, she's so whatever. Do you see the turn? Was it wrong to bring up an accusation? No. But the moment that I took away her opportunity to be forgiven, for reconciliation, for me to be wrong... The moment I took away my ability to be wrong and her ability to be wrong and a path forward, it turned and became slanderous. Slander happens when we stop trying to talk to someone and we start talking about someone in a way that cuts off all opportunity for repentance, reconciliation, forgiveness, mercy. Slander is me taking someone that I have put in my mental doghouse and I use all of my powers to get you to put them in your mental doghouse as well and they can never get out. What does it have to do with the law of God? Because James makes that equation, and that's not automatic to us, right? He says, um, if you speak evil against a brother and judge him, you speak against the law of God, you judge the law. 
It's likely he has in mind Old Testament law, something like Leviticus 19, which we read earlier, that tells people how they're to love and care for one another. This is a New Testament church, so for them, surely they had in mind the greatest commandment and the second. Shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And slander can't do that. It can't love a neighbor. It can't love God. In fact, slander looks at the law and says, but you don't know my neighbor. You don't know what it's like to deal with this person. Slander says, I know that that's what it says, but here's something that you don't understand. Slander says, I know what God wants, and even though you might never say it, but I think he's wrong in this case. And that's the turn. That's the bottom line with slander. When we speak against someone else, whether to their face with false accusation, about them to someone else, in any way that runs them down, we are standing in the position of God himself, and we're making a very poor representation of him. And we're doing what the serpent said that we would be able to do back in the garden. We're trying to be like God. And we said last week, that, that is the definition, the essence, the root of pride. So slander is actually just the symptom. Pride is the disease. And when you have the disease, um, you're not going to be a doer of God's word, as he says. You're not going to obey him because maybe we know better than him. Now, we never expected it to get to this, right? I mean, come on. After all, we, um, I was just expressing an opinion Right? I was just being real, you know? I was just shooting straight. I mean, I'm just telling you because you need to know. I, I'm telling you this because you need to pray for this person. That's my favorite. Um, this person's dangerous. I wouldn't let him around my kids. I'm glad I'm not like that. While we're on the topic, let's talk about how great I am. You see, I mean, you see how we can get to that space in, in this discussion here. Slander hijacks relationships promotes selfishness, destroys people. And some of you have been on the receiving end of that. See, it's not just that we have this tendency to slander. It's that we are the slandered. And um, you have been the person who have seen a career ruined because of it, a relationship destroyed because of it. You've had your insides permanently stamped because of the words that someone sitting on their throne said about you, and, and you believed it. Because that's the thing. We can believe it, even if it's false or if it's truth slanted and weaponized. And sometimes that list of accusations against us that the enemy loves to whisper is the same list of accusations that others would bring against us, some true, some false, and we hear them and we say, I am unworthy. And we don't say that in a good way. I am unclean, impure, broken, rebellious, cruel, selfish. And the list of accusations goes on and on and on. That's what slander does. It destroys. It's a violation. We talked about it earlier, the ninth commandment. Do not bear false witness. Um... So in our church, we use, these, um, we use this catechism called the Westminster Shorter and Larger Catechism. The larger one doesn't get a lot of press because it is larger. Um, I'm going to read, just for a minute, something that the larger catechism says about the Ninth Commandment 
Because it, it runs through all the Ten Commandments and helps explain in broad detail what this commandment is actually getting to. And it's so much more than we assume at a first reading. So just bear with me. This is a little longer. But I think it will help round out our understanding of slander. This is talking about if you were to obey the Ninth Commandment, this is what it might look like. So he said, they say, the duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man and the good name of our neighbor as well as our own, appearing and standing for the truth from the heart, sincerely, freely, clearly, fully, speaking the truth and only the truth in matters of judgment and justice and in all other things whatsoever, a charitable esteem of our neighbors, loving, desiring, and rejoicing in their good name, sorrowing for and covering of their infirmities, freely acknowledging of their gifts and graces, defending their innocence, already receiving of a good report, and an unwillingness to admit of an evil report concerning them, discouraging those who tell tall tales, flatterers, slanderers, love and care of our own good name, defending it when need requires, keeping lawful promises, studying, practicing, whatever things are true, honest, lovely, and of good report. And I don't know about you, but even if you hadn't said something bad about somebody this week, read through that list, go back through the mental record of your words this week, and ask yourself, is it remotely in in the realm of possibility that I've been close to this? And the answer will have to be, no, sure haven't. All that to say, we judge, we slander, we're prideful. How do we stop it, right? How, how, do, you, how do you knock this off? How, how do you change? This is the second question that we need to ask here. Um, when you're the person standing in the seat of God and pretending like you're him and making a judgment, what is it that you need most in that moment? You may need to be reminded who is actually God and what he's like. Uh, That's what we've lost sight of, and it's what must be regained. And that's what James does in verse 12. We should hear this with this thunderous, booming voice. There is only one lawgiver, and it's not me, right? This is James bringing us, snapping us back from self-centered crazy and self-centered insanity to reality. Uh, you're not God, here's, here's who he is. How can we think that we're above the law, smarter than it, um, not subject to it, if there's one lawgiver? It's interesting that he starts there. So he's essentially saying there's one standard setter. Because when we, when we slander people, what we're doing is we're holding them up to our, our standards, and we're finding them wanting. And James' whole point in saying that there's one lawgiver is that your standard is wrong, right? Your standard is incorrect. It's at best flimsy. At worst, it's just dead wrong. Um, We need to know there's one lawgiver. So if we were to humble ourselves so that we don't slander, we have to see God as he is in that regard. But he's not just the lawgiver, the standard setter. It's that he also, here's what is righteousness, justice, and goodness. And then he has to evaluate us in accordance with that. So this, this is where God turns into the judge, which is what he says next. There's one lawgiver and 
judge. He evaluates us, others, the nations, everybody that's ever existed by his own standard. He holds the balance. He measures us. How how can we measure others when our standard is wrong? How can we even measure ourselves? Um, I I like... um, I like to read people's tattoos because it's like the bumper sticker for the body, right? And so if you, if you get a tattoo, just understand, my wife says this all the time, that if, if, if you put a tattoo on your body, you are begging me to ask you a question about it, right? That's an advertisement that says, please ask me about my tattoo. So just know that that's, that's the case. One of my favorites is um, the only God can judge me tattoo. You may have seen this around Perhaps you have it. I don't know. I, I always want to ask the person, in the realm of tattoos, why that one? What have you done that is so horrific that you felt the need to project on your body, only God can judge me, back off, right? So it would be interesting question, interesting answers to that. Regardless of why the person got the tattoo, and let's assume the best, and that they really do believe that only God can judge me, what I, what I always want to tell them is, did you know that that's true? It's, it's a great, it's actually a great sentence. It's true. At the end of the day, when all is said and done, only God can, in fact, judge you. The question is, do you really want him to? Right? What if he does? That's the issue. Um, the, God sets the, our, the God who's presented here sets the standard, and he does evaluate and judge, and he doesn't ask for help from us in this life for this. We need to see him as he is. It will humble us, but it goes further. The lawgiver and the judge, so think about it. It makes sense. If he's the standard setter, and then he evaluates us based on the standard, what happens if he finds us lacking, right? This is why James says there's one lawgiver and judge. He is able to save and destroy. So again, if God is just, and if he's the evaluator, and he finds us lacking, it means that he's able to destroy us. And if we believe that the universe is just, and we do believe the universe is just because it's made by a just God, then we had better hope that there is some justice. But what happens when we're on the receiving end of that, right? Um, So, you know, what's interesting about this discussion is that uh, every human being that's ever lived is a moral being, even if they're on the other side of a moral issue than you are. Every, we are made moral beings. It, it's just, it's, that's, we call that natural law. We are that way because we're made by a God who, who is a moral being. And, um, you know, and if someone ever says that they're, they're amoral, right, like the nihilist, right, like who believes nothing, right, like no, you slap them in the face, and they will react, and that will prove, don't slap, don't slap people in the face. If you did, it would prove, that reaction would prove that they think that what you just did is wrong. That's just, that's a moral decision, right? That, so this is how humans are. And again, so this is why when God describes himself as the lawgiver and the judge, everyone thinks that is a good idea, unless the judge finds them wanting and decrees destruction against them. Who can say they haven't slandered another? Who, who has kept the ninth commandment perfectly? Even if you can't speak, who hasn't judged someone in the heart? And God promises 
to judge and to destroy the wicked. We wouldn't be here if we didn't believe there was some good news somewhere in all of this. And in the same sentence, there is. This is one of those amazing places where he literally is saying, God is the judge and he will destroy and save justice and mercy within one breath. He says both. Um, and, and how does he do it? How is it that God can save us from the wrath and justice of God? This is a good place for us to challenge what I said earlier, that there's not one human being who hasn't broken the ninth commandment except one, right? James' half-brother never broke the ninth commandment, never um, slandered another human, never judged unrighteously, was, an, was a doer of the law in its entirety. When the lawgiver and judge looks at his life and sees how it measures up, perfect in every single way, flawless obedience. And instead of getting the reward he deserved, he willingly underwent judgment, James' word, destruction at the cross. That in the place of slanderers, he stood like a sheep before its shears is silent as they slandered him. And you better believe the entire event around the death of Jesus was loaded with slanderous language. Lies, lies about what he claimed to be and do. A sham trial where people brought false witness consistently. And then there was the insulting and the mocking to his face, to others. They whipped up the crowd. They ran down his reputation and then they took slander all the way to its logical end, which is always the same place, murder. Slander leads to death. And in that horrific moment, which they meant for evil, God accomplished good. In that place, the death of Jesus, judgment falls on another. Slanderers, who will believe, walk free. Slanderers and the slandered. We who have dealt words of death and we who have received words of death get a totally new set of words said about us because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. When he says it's finished, that list of accusations disappears and you get a, a new list of affirmations. You who once were unclean, now by faith in Jesus, clean. You who once were impure, pure. You who once were evil, um, righteous, you who once were cast off and unworthy, mine. It's a new set of words entirely. Do you see these things? Can you see who God really is in this passage? And more than that, can you see yourself? Can you see how you have been the slanderer and the slandered and we... We have both dealt evil and we've received evil and believed it. Um, it's possible that you're here and you don't see. And maybe you're, you're not yet a Christian or you're trying to figure out what you think about spiritual things or, or you're, you're kind of making your way back into church. And if, if that's you and you would just have to say, honestly, I, I, don't, I don't really see it. Um, it's, it's not the worst thing in the world to be blind. It might be a bad thing if you're blind and you never ask for help, Right? If you find that you can't see, the best thing to do is to ask for help. And um, if you utter that kind of prayer to God, I see what you're saying. It makes sense logically. 
but I just don't get it. Help me get it. That is a prayer that God loves to answer. And I encourage you and challenge you to, to pray it. Even if you would, you're here and you would say you're a Christian, but you, you just would have to say, you can't see your own slander. You can't see your own pride. You can't see God as he really is. You're just, you're, it's, it's foggy right now. Again, same thing. Ask for help. Pray. Ask him to lift the fog and to give you an understanding faithfully from the scripture of who he is. And if you do, if you do see, and maybe you have dealt some destructive words. Here's the cure. It's the same for all of us. Ask the one who could destroy you to save you. Because he will. Because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that's not just the basis for being saved if you're a slander. That is also the pattern, motivation, and, and the, the engine room for changing and becoming someone whose words are different now, um, how does Jesus need to change you if you belong to his? A good, a good place to start there is to think about your spouse, your kids, your closest family members, friends, whatever is closest to you, and then move out to those who have even harmed you and to ask this question. With my words, what am I after? What do I want for this person? Do I want to love them and do what is good and right and best for them. And that may include some hard words. As we said earlier, it's not wrong to confront. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, right? Is it possible that you want to destroy them? Because we have those moments too. What do you do when you realize that, no, I don't want good for this person. I want to see them crushed. Own it. And then you're going to have, we're going to have to go back to the one who was crushed for us. We've got to go back to Jesus and what he experienced for us and put ourselves in the place where we're looking at him until that hard layer of our hearts begins to soften and the ice begins to melt. And we can begin to want to do good to an enemy, even though they don't deserve it, because Jesus did good for us when we were his enemies. Um, stay there until you see some change. And then consider the person and, and how your words come across and their background and choose to speak life instead of death and destruction. Uh, at the end of all this, James is very clear. Let God be the judge, not you. Don't slander, right? This is a, sometimes in the Presbyterian church, church, we like to talk about God's not a God of do's and don'ts, right? He's a God of relationship. That's true. Um, and for those with whom he is in relationship, eh, there's some do's and don'ts. He doesn't want us to slander and destroy other people. So flee the temptation to weaponize your words against another. Um, rather realize how God has used his words to build you up. And then go even to your worst enemies and speak words of life and not words of death. Let's pray that he would help us to do just that. We ask you now, Jesus, to give us eyes that can see who you are, what you've done. We confess that there are people, some that are coming to mind right now for many of us, that we have wanted to destroy. Forgive us. Remind us, Lord Jesus, of how you, the perfect one, went to the cross and experienced the judgment that we deserved 
Holy Spirit, melt our hard hearts. Give us the ability to forgive our enemies. We will not, we cannot do it on our own. And whether we have dealt slander or received slander, would you, would you speak again to us your good words, your list of realities in the gospel to us so that we can turn to others and give words of life? We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.